Somebody say, just in time. Man, my name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors on the team here. Excited that you're here, here in person or online. Want to welcome you. So excited to be preaching today. Man, I love those dad save videos, don't you? If you're a parent, you've lived those out, have you not? Maybe not the one with the bear, but maybe, I don't know, maybe there's like a skunk in your backyard or something but probably not a bear, but those other ones, I've totally lived those out. I like to remind my kids of that all the time. Like they say, you know, why do I have to do the dishes? And I'm like, because you owe me your life, all right? I brought you into this world. Actually, that was your mom, but I've kept you in it multiple times, all right? So do the dishes. Can you imagine if that video was just of parents like calmly sitting next to kids on couches not falling and maybe running next to bikes already prepared, like just parents way ahead of everything, that would be a pretty boring video, wouldn't it? Instead of dad saves, it'd be like dad overprotects, you know? There's something about that last second save, right? We like it. We want to see the last second save. Like a, like a superhero movie wouldn't be very exciting if the superhero was always just like following everybody around. Nobody ever had, a, you know, gotten in any trouble, needed any saving. Like nobody needs saving because, you know, Iron Man's just following them around like clank, clank, clank behind them all the time. Mary Jane never needs saving because Spider-Man won't leave her alone for like five seconds. You know, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be very exciting. Something about us, in us as human beings. I mean, we love the last second save. Like, like when our team is down and there's that buzzer beater shot or, or there's that fourth quarter, two minute, you know, drive, game winning drive at the end when we're like, man, I don't think our team is going to win. I don't think our character is going to make it. I don't think we're going to get through this. And then there's this last second save and we're like, yeah, we love it. Well, we love it. We love it when it's in somebody else's life, right? At least I do. Like, I love to see the last second save in someone else's life, but in mine, I'd rather have it like smooth sailing all the time. Thank you very much. Like, I don't really want to need saving, you know? I'd rather just be always up and to the right. Like, my life theme song, I want it to be all I do is win, win, win. You know what I mean? 
and I never get in trouble, but that's just not the way it is. Here's the thing. On this side of heaven, any success that we experience will be mixed with difficulty. And who am I kidding? Difficulty is kind of too soft of a word, right? It'll be mixed with difficulty and even tragedy. We will not always win. There will be times when things are going really, really bad. When, when I just don't think I can get through it. When things just aren't going my way. When I'm losing and I'm failing and I'm falling. And I feel like I'm being crushed. When I just lost a job, lost a spouse, lost a kid, lost a friend. When what I thought would have happened by now just hasn't. When I don't think I'm going to be able to make it through it. And when we're faced with those moments, it's very revealing because I'll do one of a, a few things. Like I'll either just give up. Like, oh, well, I guess life's just like this. That whole defeatist mentality. Like, I guess I'll just live in this junk, you know. Or maybe I'll double down on myself. Like, I just need to try harder, be stronger, go faster, get it done. That self-reliance. Or maybe we'll rely on, a, on somebody close to us, a spouse, a friend, somebody in our family. The thing is, whether it's yourself or someone else, relying on a, another broken thing to fix your brokenness just isn't really going to work. And listen, beloved, there's another option. There's another option, not giving up, not relying on yourself, not relying on another broken person to fix your brokenness. There's another option. What I'm saying is oftentimes the only thing that'll work is a dad save, amen? I mean, the only thing that'll work is a dad save when God shows up just in time, when you were sure that you weren't gonna make it, when you said for the hundredth time, if something doesn't change, I don't think I'm gonna be able to get through this. And then God showed up. Maybe it was a sickness you were dealing with. Maybe it was problems with a grown son or daughter. Maybe it was job related or finances related and you just weren't getting the breakthrough you wanted to get. Maybe it was an addiction or a secret sin that you just couldn't shake. But then God showed up just in time. Does anybody have a story like that? Can I get a witness up in here? All right. Let me ask you a question. What if that's the point? Like, hang with me. What if the series of difficulties and successes, joys and pain we experience in our lives is just a test? A test tied to one lesson. Trust that Jesus will always show up just in time. What if it's just a test about Dependency, trust, faith, obedience, that when we obey, he'll always be there. Ugh, a test, Jake, really? I hate tests. Everybody hates tests. I get that. I get that. But just like when you were in school, you can act like they're not going to come and then be really surprised with all the red ink that's on them when you get them back. Or you can prepare. You can study. You can start to get ready for the test that you know is coming. You can dread them or you can ask God what good he's working in you through them. 
Because James 1 says the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If you feel like you're lacking in something, discernment and direction, purpose and peace, whatever it is, James just said that testing of your faith will produce steadfastness, perseverance, endurance. The very thing you're going to need to see those other things come from God when you need them. What if, what if it's just a test? What if it's all a test? When I think about testing, I think about this one person in the Old Testament, um, a guy named Abraham, who had just this ridiculous test. And he actually had Jesus show up in the middle of his test, even though it was in the Old Testament. It's just this unbelievably out of control, difficult test that he was going through. It's in Genesis 22, which is page 16 in the Bible under the seat, under your seat, under the seat in front of you, if you want to follow along. But you may have heard about this guy. Like I said, it's Abraham and he's known as the father of the Jewish people. But God comes to Abraham before his name is Abraham. It's actually Abram. And God says to Abram that he's going to bless him and his family and the whole earth through his descendants. He's going to make a chosen people out of his descendants. And he changes his name from Abraham, or from Abram, I'm sorry, that means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of many. And God gives him this epic promise. He goes, your descendants will outnumber the sands on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And Abraham ends up having a son named Isaac, and Isaac has a son named Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. And then about 400 years later, Moses is leading a million of them out of Egypt, and it just kind of takes off from there. Judges and kings and prophets and exile, and eventually, Jesus. Abraham's people become the chosen people of God, Israel, and in A physical sense, Jesus is his descendant. But before all that, God speaks to a guy with no kids who's 100 years old. His wife is 90 years old. The Bible says they're as good as dead. That's what the Bible says. So there's like not very many prospects. You know what I'm saying? She's barren. They're just not going to have a family. His name was Abram, exalted father, but he wasn't a father much less Abraham, father of many. I mean, when God tells Abram and his wife that they're going to have a kid, a son through Sarah, his wife, they just laugh because it's just out of the realm of possibility. But long story short, God does it. It's a miracle. 25 years go by from when God makes this promise and when Isaac is born. And because they laughed at God's promise of a son, they name him Isaac, which means son of laughter. It's this incredible story of God fulfilling his promise of Abraham's faith, of of mourning and sadness being turned into joy and dancing. I mean, Isaac is here. God is doing it. It's a miracle. Listen, everything hangs on Isaac. The promise and its fulfillment all hangs on Isaac, the son of promise, the son of laughter. Then look at Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. What? 
Hadn't he already been through enough tests? Like if you read the story, he's been through a lot. Like why are we testing Abraham? But testing develops steadfastness, which will in the end produce a faith that's lacking nothing. Look at the test. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. And so God goes, you know the son upon which all that I've promised you hangs? And Abraham goes, yeah. And he goes, the son that you love? Yeah, your only son? Yes, Lord, I know who you're talking about. I just have one. God goes, kill him. I want him back. I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. What? I mean, I can't imagine what's going on in Abraham's heart right now. I mean, I can't imagine it because the Bible doesn't really let us in on that. I mean, I, I would think he's full of like shock, right? A lot of questions, but the Bible doesn't say that. God gives him this direction, this directive. And then look at verse three. It says, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. He just gets up and he goes. He just obeys. It's a long journey on foot, and so the Bible says about three days in, they finally see the mountain that he's supposed to offer the, the burnt offering on. And so Abraham, he turns to the young men that he brought with him, and he says, you guys stay here, and he's going to go on to the mountain with Isaac. But he says something really interesting to the young men. I want you to see it in verse 5. He says this. He says, I and the boy will go over there to that mountain and worship and come again to you. Wait, what? He says, we'll be back in a little bit. I and the boy, we're going to be back. But God said to kill the boy. So what do you mean you're going to come back, you and he, together, back here after you're done? What was, he, what was he thinking when he said that? We don't have to guess what Abraham was thinking in that moment because the Bible actually tells us in Hebrews 11, verse 19, it says he considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead. I mean, Abraham is in this test of contradiction, Right? I mean, he's got this promise, and he's, he's got this command from God, and he's been promised a lineage, a people, a nation, a chosen people, but God just told him to offer Isaac, who the people are going to come through, the chosen people, the lineage are going to come through Isaac, and God said, offer Isaac on, a, on an altar. He's in this test of contradiction, right? Offered, promised a lineage, but told to sacrifice that lineage on an altar, which is it going to be? Which is true, the promise or the command? What's going to happen? Is he going to have a lineage or is Isaac going to die today? Abraham had decided that it was both. He, he's going, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know what God's doing in my life. I don't know why he's testing me like this. I don't know what he's trying to teach me. But I just know he gave me a promise and he gave me a command. And I'm going to do both. Maybe he'll raise Isaac from the dead. Who knows? But he goes, I'm just going to do it because God told me to do it. I mean, he must be sad, right? But he seems full of faith, not just with this statement we just read, but what, and what happens next, too. I, Abraham has Isaac carry the wood on his back up the mountain, and they start to make the ascent. 
And then Isaac looks around, he goes, behold, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I mean, Isaac ain't no dummy. He's looking around going, okay, that's a sharp knife. You got fire, you got wood. Just what are we sacrificing today, dad? And look at Abraham's answer. It says, God will provide. Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. There it is again, faith. God will provide. God will show up. He's going to have to because I can't make this happen, Isaac. I don't really know what he's going to do. Question, how in the world does Abraham have this level of faith in this moment? How does he have faith that God will provide, that God may even raise Isaac from the dead? I mean, how is he so full of faith? I think it's because this isn't isn't Abraham's first rodeo with faith, is it? I mean, this isn't his first test. God's been giving him tests his whole life. None of them is big and to the level of this final exam, but each one bigger than the last because that's the way it works. I mean, it's all in Genesis, in the Bible. In, in Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham to leave everything and move to a place. He didn't even tell, tell him where he was going, but Abraham got up and he moved. And in 13, God tested him with his nephew Lot. And in 14, he tested Abraham in a battle against five kings. And in chapter 15 of Genesis, God tested him to see if he would actually believe that he would have a son. And in 17, he commanded him to circumcise every male in his household, something that had never been done before. I imagine it was an awkward family meeting. And in 18, God sent two strangers to him to test his hospitality. Those two strangers ended up being angels. Also, in 18, God tested Abraham's compassion with Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's more. That's just a few of the many tests that, God, that Abraham went through on God's, by God's hand. And listen, it's important to note, Abraham didn't pass all these tests. I mean, in the 25 years waiting between the promise and Isaac being born, Abraham made a huge mistake. He had a son through another woman, a son named Ishmael. Abraham didn't always make the right decisions, but listen, the Abraham in Genesis 22 is a different man than the Abraham in Genesis 12 because he's seen God's faithfulness through all these tests time and time again, each test bigger than the last, each test producing in him steadfastness, perseverance, endurance that will produce this Faith that has no lack. That's why he's able to obey in this final exam with Isaac on the altar. That's why he's able to say to the young man, hey, me and my son are going to go over there to that mountain and we'll be back. And then to Isaac, God's going to provide a sacrifice. You don't need to worry. This wasn't Abraham's first rodeo. The reason I'm bringing this up is because I think a lot of times when we read about people like Abraham in the Bible, and these, these people of great faith, we tend to just think, man, I, I can't do that. I'm not like that. I can't, I can't be like them. They're just so unattainable, right? Like, I, I don't think I could actually do that. But listen, don't compare your beginning or your middle to someone else's ending. Don't compare your starting line with someone else's finish line. They didn't start there. Neither will you. 
The question isn't how do I take big steps of faith like Abraham? The question is how do I take the step of faith that God is asking me to take right now? How do I take this step of faith that he's asking me to do right now, big or small? How do I obey him and what he's telling me to do? Don't worry about the final exam down the road. Just focus on the tests and the quizzes that he's putting in front of you right now. He's giving you those today. Maybe it's even something specific that you're thinking of. Like, I could never do this for God, fill in the blank. I could never leave Abilene for God. I, I used to think that too. I could never lead a life group for God. I used to think that as well. I could never start a business. I could never, I could never tell my neighbor about Jesus. I could never rearrange my life like that person did to, you know, kind of focus on Jesus and not on something else like a hobby or youth sports or money or whatever it is. I could never do that. Maybe there's something specific in your mind. Listen, we talk about solving the foster care crisis here a lot at Beltway Park. Maybe that's where you're like, I can never foster a child. I can never adopt a child for Jesus. I used to think that too. But maybe this thing, whatever it is, it just seems way too big of a step of faith. Well, could it be that God has other steps of faith for you to take before you get to that big one? Like, could it be that there are other, you know, progressive kind of, tests along the way that you're supposed to go through before you get to that level of faith. What is God asking you to do right now, today? Maybe it's a conversation about a move. Maybe it's an email to groups at beltway.org about leading a group to see what it is. What, what does it entail? Maybe it's a family meeting to pray and talk about, is God asking us to rearrange some things and to have some different priorities than we've had in the past? You don't, just, you don't just walk in out of nowhere and take the bar exam to be a lawyer. You don't do that. You go to law school, right? I can't skip the, the quizzes and the tests that God's, I can't skip class and expect to be good to go. That's not the way Abraham had all these tests all the way leading up to this big final exam with Isaac on the altar. I can't try to take the bar before going to law school. It just won't work. Don't let, don't compare your starting line to someone else's finish line. God's got something for you today. Back to Genesis 22. Abraham has these statements of faith, but he's not just talk. I mean, he's action as well. And so they head up the mountain together. Uh, he and Isaac, wood and fire, no offering, no lamb. Verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Imagine it. Put yourself in Abraham's place. I don't know for sure, but I imagine his voice cracks as he kind of tells his son Isaac, his only son, the son of promise, the son of laughter, to get up on this altar. He lays him down. His hands are shaking. His heart is pounding. Tears streaming down his face as he looks at his boy. And maybe he's thinking, God, don't make me do this. Don't make me do this. And maybe he's full of resolve. Maybe he's going, God will make a way. Maybe he's, it's going to be okay. I just have to trust. I don't know what he thinks or he feels in this moment. But I do know what he does. Look at verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter 
his son. What? Abraham's, <laughs> he's willing to kill his son? I mean, he grabs a knife. He gets ready. It's like he raises it high, trusting that God is going to do something miraculous. Maybe I'll have to kill Isaac and he'll raise him from the dead. Who knows? But then when Abraham is just about to carry out the sacrifice, he hears this voice from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, stop. Look at verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. The angel said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God shows up just in time. Dad save, right? Notice it said the angel of the, the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord. And then when the angel is talking, he says, you didn't withhold your son from me, not from God, but from me. Scholars call this a Christophany. We've studied two of them over the last two weeks. This is the third. Before Bethlehem, Jesus was. Before the New Testament, Jesus was. Before the wise men and Mary and Joseph and the manger and all that, Jesus was. He has existed in eternity past and he will exist for eternity future. Just in time. At the last second when it seemed like all hope was lost and Isaac was going to die, Jesus showed up and he stopped Abraham. And he didn't just stop Abraham. He provided a, a different sacrifice. Look at the next verse. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. This is the quietest ram in the history of rams. Rams caught in thickets are loud. They're thrashing. They're moving. They want to get out, right? Think about this. While Abraham was getting Isaac up the mountain, somehow God was getting this ram up the mountain too. When Abraham was going up on this side of the mountain, God had this ram going up on the other side of the mountain. Before Abraham ever made it to the top of the mountain, God had already provided a ram. Isn't that awesome? God provided this ram. But listen, Abraham had to obey and he had to go up the mountain when God told him to go up the mountain, right? Or he would have missed the ram caught in a thicket. He would have missed it. There was this moment, this intersection between Abraham's obedience and God's provision. And that intersection happened at the top of the mountain, just in time. Here's what I'm saying. We may not see all that God is doing behind the scenes on our behalf on the other side of the mountain, but he's doing it. I mean, we may not see it right now, but God is always working He's always providing. He's always orchestrating events and people and finances. Discussions and decisions and plans and conversations are happening on our behalf that we know nothing about. The ram is coming up on the other side of the mountain. We don't see it, but God's working. Provision is coming. Jesus is getting ready to intervene. 
I want you to get this today. Like, I don't know what you're going through. Maybe it's, I don't know what test you're in. I don't know what mountain you're climbing. Maybe it seems like God isn't there. Maybe it seems like God isn't providing. Maybe you can't see Jesus in all of this. But God has sent me here today to tell you that he's coming. That he's providing. That he's got a ram prepared and it's going up the other side of the mountain. It doesn't matter if you see it right now or not. God is providing. But here's the thing, if I delay obedience, I delay provision. If I delay obedience, I delay provision. If Abraham doesn't go up the mountain, when God tells him to go up the mountain, he misses the ram. He misses Jesus, right? That's because we experience God's provision through our obedience. Think about that. We experience God's provision, God providing through our, our obedience to him. He invites us into something. He commands us to do something. He leads us in a certain direction. And as we obey, we get to see Jesus show up just in time. That's how it works. We experience his provision as we obey. It's a test. Will we trust that he'll always show up just in time? Every test, increasing our faith in greater and greater measure, believing God to show up in bigger and bigger ways. If Abraham doesn't obey and go up the mountain with Isaac, he misses Jesus. Man, sometimes, maybe, maybe a lot of times, I, I feel like I miss Jesus, you know? I'm just so busy. I'm scared and unwilling to sacrifice my own dream, unwilling to let go of control. I feel like I miss him. Beloved, don't miss him. In Genesis 22, Jesus calls from heaven and he goes, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham is like, he looks at Jesus. We need to look at Jesus. I mean, when we're, when we're in doubt, look at Jesus. When we're failing, look at Jesus. When we're tempted, look at Jesus. When we're falling, look at Jesus. When we don't think there's anything coming, look at Jesus. When we're climbing up the mountain with our son and we're going, I don't know how this is going to work, look at Jesus. I mean, if Abraham can look at Jesus from the Old Testament, before the wise men and the manger and all that, how much more can you and I look at Jesus? Now that he's come and risen, died and risen again for us, how much more can we see him? Don't miss him. Here's how I'd like to end today. If you would, let's, let's close our eyes and bow our heads just as a way to just listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in a room full of people. If you just close your eyes and bow your head. Here's the question that I'd like for you to ask yourself and God today. Have I, have I missed Jesus? I mean, have I missed him? Listen, Isaac didn't have to die. The ram died in his place and you don't have to die because Jesus died in your place. He didn't just offer a ram, he offered himself. 
He entered human history. He showed up just in time on this cosmic big picture level. He showed up just in time to provide the sacrifice himself. He gave his own life to pay the debt that you and I owe. He died in our place. No more sacrifices needed. No more rams or lambs needed. He showed up just in time for you. He intervened. You're Abraham on the mountain. You got this knife, but it's not pointed at Isaac. It's pointed at your own chest. And you're on your way to death and destruction. And Jesus showed up and he goes, wait, I made a way. You don't have to do it. You don't have to offer yourself. I offered myself for you. I made a way. Have you seen him yet? Have you noticed him? Have you dropped the knife and run to him? Have you surrendered your life to him? Man, if you haven't yet given your life to Jesus, you haven't noticed him, not in that way. You can do that right now. Just tell him, just say, Jesus, I see you. I need you. I want you to save me, Jesus. Rescue me. Change me. Just tell him. If that's you this morning and you're saying those words, you're thinking those words, you're praying those words, or you want to, and you're saying, I want to I wanna surrender my life to Jesus fully. Accept his sacrifice. Be rescued and saved because he showed up just in time today. If that's you, you want to give your life over to Jesus. And I'd love to pray for you. If you just lift your hand up, I just want to pray. Yeah, I see that hand. Anyone else? Yeah, yeah. Let's hold those hands up. Jesus, we just pray for these people with their hands up. We pray in Jesus' name that you would save souls today, that you would rescue, that it would be from here on out eternal. And maybe, maybe you know Jesus, you know. As we continue in an attitude of prayer, maybe, maybe you know Jesus. But if you're honest today, you'd say, man, I, I've been missing him lately. I've been focused on myself. I've been focused on busyness of life. I've been focused on something else. But I've been kind of missing Jesus lately, you know. Well, God's provision, Jesus showing up, that happens as we obey him. So maybe your question today is, what, what do I need to obey him in? What is he telling me to do today, right now? Not... Not some far off thing, some far off out of, out of range kind of faith step, but, but, but here right now, what, what's God asking me to do here today? And then maybe, maybe you're following Jesus, but you're just in a test, you know? And it's hard. And you're walking up this mountain and you're just not seeing Jesus. You're not seeing God provide and you're just like, man... How long do I have to walk up this mountain? How long do I have to endure this test? I don't know if God's going to provide. I don't know if he's going to show up. Hear this and be encouraged. The ram is on its way. God is always working. You just have to obey. You just have to keep putting one step, one foot in front of the other. Keep walking up that mountain because at the right time, just in time, Jesus is going to intervene with the dad save. So keep moving forward if that's you.
Ask God, what are you teaching me? What good are you working in me through this test? And look for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy today. Thank you that you always speak to us through your word. You always speak to us. Thank you, Jesus, that before Abraham, you were. That you have existed for eternity past and will exist for eternity future. You didn't show up in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. You have been forever. We put our trust in you because you are God, eternally existent. We pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to see you, right? here, Just like Abraham got to see you and there was this Christophany and it was way before, you know, the New Testament. It's just this crazy thing. You got a glimpse of you, Jesus. Just like he got to see you, I pray, Jesus, that we see you every day as we obey you. May we be a people that step out in obedience, trusting that you're gonna show up just in time. It's in your name that we pray these things. Everybody said... Amen.